Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It ends with the command that the instruction that Jesus gives to the lawyer and to his disciples who are overhearing this and to us who are reading this, go and do likewise. Go and show mercy to people in the manner that the Good Samaritan did. And we, we want to do that, right? We want to be good neighbors. We want to love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves. And when we see the example of the Good Samaritan, when we see the example of Jesus, we, our hearts go, yes, I want to live that way. I want to stop living so wound up in myself and so for myself. I want to live for others. I want to learn to love and to live like Jesus Christ. And so this is the third sermon in a, in a three-part series that began five weeks ago. So in the first week, we talked about, from Luke chapter 10, what keeps us from being good neighbors? What keeps us from being like the Good Samaritan? And if you remember the, the Princeton Seminary experiment that I described then, I think it's because we are all in the high-hurry group. We all feel like we've been told, you're already late, you've got a lot to do, everybody's waiting on you, so you need to hurry. And because we are so hurried, like the, that, that sentence from that study that I quoted in the sermon, uh, we do not perceive the scenes that we are in to be opportunities for an ethical decision. We do not see the moments in our life to be times where we can be good neighbors. Instead, we, <clears throat> because we are hurrying, because we are rushing, we stay submerged in ourselves. You feel that way sometimes? You're just, you're just in yourself. Everywhere you go, it's, what do you want to do there? Why are you there? You're there because of you. You're there because you have stuff to do. And if people get in the way, right, if somebody's writing a check in the <laughs> checkout line, why God, you know, like, just smite this person. I've got things to do. <clears throat> we just stay submerged in ourselves. I quoted Kevin DeYoung that week. He says, the greatest danger with busyness, the greatest danger with hurry is that there may be greater dangers that we don't have time to consider. That's what keeps us from being a good neighbor. But then the next week, we looked at Acts chapter 3, right after Pentecost, and the Spirit of God falls, and in answer to all the promises of the Old Testament, God delivers Himself into the lives and hearts of His people. He gives them new hearts, and He Himself dwells with them, in them, and among them, through the Spirit. Right after that, we see this this Good Samaritan-esque moment where Peter and John, who have been going to the temple every day for years and seeing this lame man who is set beside the temple begging for alms, all of a sudden something changes in their lives and they perceive him. They perceive this as a moment for an ethical opportunity, for a chance to be a good neighbor. And they, in the name of Jesus, heal that lame man. So we talk about what keeps us from being good neighbors. What keeps us from being good neighbors is our self-absorption and our hurry. What frees us to be good neighbors is the Spirit, right? The Spirit in our lives helps us pay attention to the interests of Christ so that when we go to the grocery store, when we go to our friends and family's houses, when we go to work, we're not just there thinking, what do I need to do? What do I want to get out of it? What is in it for me? We go there thinking, what does Christ want me to do? What does Christ want to get out of this? How, can, how does Christ want to be served in this moment? So the Spirit helps us pay attention to the interests of Jesus. The Spirit helps us as well bear the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, 
love, peace, joy, right? All the qualities of our best friends all come from the work of the Spirit. So how does the Spirit do that? <clears throat> what, is it, <clears throat> what does the Spirit want to do in our lives today? And that's what we're going to talk about and go deeper in. All right, so are you in Luke chapter 10? Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 37. So the one who showed him mercy is the, is the one who is a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, how do you feel when you hear that? Here's how I feel when I hear go and do likewise. I hear Jesus saying, hey, you know how you're already super busy? And you already have like a ton of tasks on your daily to-do list that you don't get to check every day and they just kind of get bumped onto the next day's to-dos. And you know how you have no time for any of those things that are, are really important for you or that you really need to do to stay healthy. You know how you have no time for that? Now, onto your schedule and onto your to-dos, I want to, you, you to add severely invasive acts of mercy. Right? Have you ever tried to do this? At some point in everybody's Christian life, I think we decide, I'm going to be a good neighbor. And so we start looking for somebody with uh, what appears to be emotional distress, right? Or something, or somebody struggling with mental illness, and we come in contact with them, and we just say, oh, I'm going I'm to be like Jesus, and I'm going to stop everything, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to serve you. And then you realize, holy smokes, I can't do this. You know, my, my kids are crying, they're screaming at me, you know, I'm getting hangry here and I'm starting to preach a little more wrath than grace than I want to to this person. I'm just tired, right? And then you just walk away. How do you feel then? You feel like I'm a failure. I'm not cut out to be a Christian. I can read my Bible, God. I can maybe do some prayers and I'll go to church. But I really can't do any of the fruit of the Spirit stuff. I can't be a like Christ kind of person. I just can't do it. But I want you to notice something really interesting and really important. So the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan story ends in verse 37 with Jesus saying, go and do likewise. And what is the immediate next story that Luke tells? You see that? The immediate next story is the story of Mary and Martha. Let's read this story together. Now as the, Jesus and his cohort went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the story right after Go and Do Likewise. I find this story to be challenging, right? You read this story and you kind of think, like, who's, which, which sister do you side with, right? Like, Martha's doing stuff. Stuff needs to get done. Right? Mary's kind of, she's just being a, kind of a loser, right? Just laying around, sitting around. We, we naturally side with Martha. You feel like in the back of your mind, you're saying what Martha's saying in the back of her mind. Okay, why don't we all just lay around and listen to sermons and Christian music. And then when we get hungry or we're all run out of underpants, Jesus, we'll just pray about it. Okay, is that what we should do? 
But notice in this story, Martha welcomes Jesus into her house. Is she being a good host, though? Is she being a good a good neighbor? Right after the good neighbor stuff, this guy who shows hospitality. Right? She, she wants to be a good neighbor to Jesus. She wants to be a good neighbor, but she's not. She welcomes him in, but she's distracted with many things. And then notice the escalation. She's distracted. And then she gets anxious. I don't know, this resonates with me 100%. Distracted with many things. Then you start getting anxious. Then you start getting upset, right? Trouble. You start getting angry. And then she confronts Jesus like, Jesus, Redeemer and Savior and lover of my soul, you don't care about me. And my sister has deserted me. You see that progression? All because she's trying to be a good neighbor. So what should Martha have done? What does Jesus say in verse 42? He says, one thing is necessary. He says, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but there's only one thing worth getting anxious and troubled about. What is the one thing in our lives worth troubling our lives to make sure it happens? What's the one thing that if it doesn't happen, we are sure it is going to cause problems? What is the thing that we need to do first? It's to spend time with Jesus. He says one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Good portion is a little bit of a code word in the Bible. It means the thing that you really want. So when you go in the Old Testament, the good portion is the best land. Right? If you're going to inherit something, you want the good portion of the land. When you sit down at the table, you want the good portion. I just read the story of uh, when Joseph uh, meets all his brothers and Benjamin's with him, and he gives Benjamin three times as much meat and the choice cuts and, and all the, the extra stuff. Right, that's the good portion. This is the thing that you really want. Mary's chosen the thing that you really want. I was at a church in Pennsylvania, and there, there was a lot of uh, older folks at that church, and every month we'd have a potluck. And the first thing that all the old people in that church would do is they'd go down, go straight to the dessert table, pick their dessert, and then take it with them to their seat. <laughs> which all my life to that point, right, the adults in my life have been saying, don't get dessert, don't get dessert, wait till the end, wait till the end. And here's all these elderly people, right, they had chosen the good portion. <laughs> they didn't say, why am I going to sit here and eat, you know, asparagus and green beans for 20 minutes and then get the caramel chocolate cake? I'm going to get that now and go sit down and make sure I've got it. So when you look at your day, when we look at our day, right, what is the best, the most necessary and best thing of the day's options. Time with Jesus. Well, I'd love to spend more time with Jesus. Jesus is saying, good, do it. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's the good portion. Do that. And then he says, Mary's chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I think partly what he's saying is, Martha, you better knock it off. Don't try to take this away from Mary. He's saying, we, we need to protect this thing. I think he's also saying, this is the thing that's not going to be taken away. This is the thing that is going to pay off. If you'll give yourself to this, if you'll invest in this, this will pay off in time. So Mary, in this story, she takes the best time to do the right thing. You know, I think we need to fill in some of the blanks in this story. Of course, Mary and Martha and Jesus are all going to get the work that needs to be done, done. They're just going to do it later. But first, they need to sit. Here's, I think, the, the lesson of this story. We need to sit before we serve. We need to sit with Jesus before we try to serve Jesus. We need to sit with Jesus be try, before we try to serve other people. 
We want to be good neighbors. We want to be like Jesus Christ. And so to do that, first things need to be first. Before we serve, we need to sit. We need to take the good portion, do the necessary thing, and sit with Jesus. And I want to remind you, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that not only is this what Jesus tells Martha to do, this was Jesus' own example. Remember all those verses we looked at where Jesus got alone. He was alone and quiet with the Lord. Or he regularly observed, it was his habit to observe the Sabbath. Jesus' habit was silence and solitude and Sabbath. Jesus' regular practice was silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Now I want to draw a distinction here because we're kind of in a moment where our culture has left the story of the Bible, right? And so they're trying to find their own story. But there's a gravity to these healthy practices, but they don't want to do them in the name of Jesus. They don't want to open themselves up to the Spirit of God or submit to the Word of God. And so you have things like, uh, like just being silent, being uh, meditating, trying to be mindful, right? So these are all like good, generally good things. But this is not what Jesus is telling Martha to do or giving us an example to do. These are not empty rituals uh, for mental health. These are carving out spaces for prayer, for communion with God, for Jesus to uh, and us to meditate on Scripture so we can listen to God, and times for reflection, for personal reflection. What is God doing in my life? You know, the Bible says over 150 times to remember, to remember. How do we remember? We don't remember all the time, right? You only remember when you pause and remember. And that's what reflection is. So silence, solitude, and then Sabbath is sort of a lot of that, is for prayer, meditation, reflection. And then it's out of that that the fruit of fellowship, service grows. So I'm going to say the same thing a couple different ways this morning. We need to sit before we serve. Another way to say that is we need to slow down sometimes. Right? There's no way around the fact that life is busy and that you've got a lot to do. And good, be busy, do a lot. But sometimes we need to slow down. There's been a, uh, a quiet revolution in the world of marathon running, and it's a, a revolution I think I can really get behind. Uh, it's called the run-walk revolution. Right? So these experienced marathoners are discovering that if they walk for about a minute after each mile they run, or, you know, for them, that's like every five or six minutes. Or just for you and me, run for five or six minutes and then walk for a mile. Or walk for a minute. They're finding that they're actually finishing their races faster. So they're running 26, 24, 26, 26 miles. Walking for a minute after every mile and running the race faster. And when they finish, they feel better and they're not getting injured as often. It is safer and faster when you're running a race to walk sometimes. So Jesus' example shows us that the fruitful life that we desire depends on silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Right, The life of being a good neighbor depends on this. But I also want to talk about for a minute how this life is a protection This is how we become fruitful and become good neighbors, but it also protects us. If we don't take time to walk, in other words, we're going to get hurt. Which, 
I think it's an important thing to pause and consider. Sabbath is not a punishment. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to kind of shift to talking mostly about Sabbath, not just the, uh, the, the like literal Jewish command, but Sabbath as kind of a placekeeper in our minds, uh, the idea of um, an investment of silence and solitude before the Lord. So you understand kind of how I'm using it. Like Sabbath is sometime in your week, in your life, when you take a chunk of hours or maybe even a couple days and you spend time quiet before the Lord. It's the uh, concentration of silence and solitude. So I want you to think about this for a second. When did God introduce the Sabbath? You know, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God takes Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden in the Garden of Eden. And he says, I want you to work this and keep it. So I want you to make it fruitful. I want you to flourish. And I want you to protect yourselves and to protect this place. Now, what had God given them? The only thing I think he had given them to protect them with was in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, the Sabbath. On the seventh day, God rested and he set it apart and he made it holy. And it was on that day when they were to have that that separation, that silence, that, that close communion with God. But think about for this for a second. Before sin, Adam and Eve needed Sabbath. Right? It's not just we need Sabbath because we're so busy and we're so stressed and we, there's so much noise in our lives. Adam and Eve needed Sabbath. That was the thing that God had given them to help them remember what they had and to help them identify threats to what they had. Think about also the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 tells the story of the temptation, Jesus' temptation. Chapter 4 verse 1 begins, And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How long did He stay in the wilderness? Remember? Quiz time. Forty days and forty nights. Let me just describe what's happening to you in kind of different language here. Before Jesus was tempted by Satan, one-on-one with Satan. I mean, you and me are tempted, but we're not tempted by Satan himself. Before Jesus is tempted by Satan himself, and before he begins his fruitful ministry, what does he do? He takes an extended sabbatical. Hang on, did Jesus need to take an extended sabbatical? Did he need to take an extended sabbatical in order to withstand the temptations of Satan? Did he need to take an extended sabbatical in order to be fruitful in his ministry? I guess he did. (laughs) I guess he did, because that's what the Spirit led him to do, and that's what he did. I guess he needed it. Do we? Do we need these same kinds of things? Now, probably... It is not your calling or mine to be uh, as extraordinarily kingdom fruitful in our lives as Jesus was in his, wandering around America and preaching the gospel and, and leading thousands and thousands to the Lord. But all of us in our own way have this need, and this longing to be fruitful and this longing to be protected from the, from the devil. And so we need to, I mean, it's as simple as this. If you want to be Christ-like in the fruit, then we need to be Christ-like in the roots. What did Jesus do to be so fruitful? This is also held out to us to imitate. This is how the Christian life works. This is how the Spirit is working in our lives. 
Now, when we talk about Sabbath, silent solitude, protecting us from things, let's look back at Luke chapter 10, verse 40. What is it protecting us from? And I just want to remember again Martha's journey. She wants to do good things. She wants to be a good neighbor to Jesus and his band of guys. But she's distracted with many things. And as you know, as you've been distracted with many things, your anxiety levels rise. And then you kind of get frustrated. You start to get upset. And you start to get upset with other people. Right? And after a critical mass has sort of been, uh, has arrived, you are bitter. Right? God, how come you're not helping me? How come you're not doing anything for me? And why am I all alone? Why has everybody that I counted on deserted me in this? You know, for, for an example, you see this, unfortunately, with pastors, ministry leaders, and even mature Christians. You see them, them failing. You see them suddenly in a place where they're ripe for the loss of their faith. And I think it's instructive to think about their example for us. Because those are the ones that we can see, and the ones that kind of hit the news. Oh, this other pastor, oh, this other ministry leader, and their spectacular failure. But... Have you been in churches before? Have you seen this in a smaller scale? Have you seen this? People who are serving in a church and they come to a place where they just lose their faith. They just can't go on. They're bitter. They're upset. They feel like they're all alone. Why do these things happen? And I would suggest that they happen because they, they don't sit before they serve. So in my experience, my conversations with many pastors, um, do they have devotions? Maybe. But sometimes they treat the devotions like it's just a box to be checked, just a thing to do. Do they take a day off? Honestly, it's pretty rare. Maybe they take a day off, but that day is full of things. But they never sit before the Lord long enough to, to see Him truly and be seen by Him. They never sit before the Lord long enough to know and to be known. And here's what happens. Let, let's just do a, a brief diagnosis on what happens here then. What happens is that the lack of this important thing, the lack of, this, of the necessary thing that Jesus says this is, this is the necessary thing, the lack of it accumulates. We see that in Martha's story. Distracted, anxious, troubled, bitter, angry. The hole gets bigger. I read a book recently about the Johnstown Flood. You guys know about the Johnstown Flood? It's uh, the 10th largest catastrophe in American history. Um, so number 9 is Pearl Harbor. Number 8 is the uh, 9-11. Number 10, in terms of measured in terms of loss of life, is the Johnstown Flood back in the late 1800s. Some people had built a dam in the, the highlands of middle Pennsylvania and uh, created a lake up there. Beautiful lake set among kind of the high hills, the, the low mountains of middle Pennsylvania. Well, after a little bit of time, uh, it wasn't managed quite so well, a country club bought it and stocked it with fish. But some things were neglected. There were pipes at the bottom of the dam meant to regulate the depth. Those were removed. I don't know how they were removed, but they were removed and they were sold for scrap. Then the spillway, which is kind of the main protection point for a dam, it was uh, covered with a grate so the fish couldn't get out. And then it was clogged, like all grates in the universe are at this current moment, clogged, and nobody took care of them. And then, 
when the water level was low and they had an opportunity to do repairs on the dam, they did extremely shoddy work. They literally just threw trash and hay, grass clippings, dead animals. I mean, it was just ridiculous as if that was going to somehow pack the earth down when the rains came. And then, and then there was a small structural problem that had developed that was left unaddressed. And all of that neglect was so that the members of this hoity-toity club could keep fishing. And then one day it started to rain a little extra hard. And what appeared to have been strong was revealed to have been neglected. And of course it collapsed and with devastating consequences just like in so many of our lives. Adam and Eve needed Sabbath before sin. Jesus Christ, sinless, needed an extended sabbatical. Are we different or better or stronger than those? One of the things I'm most thankful for about the way that this church has taken care of me through the years is its policy of taking sabbaticals. So every year, a couple times a year, and then every several years for an extended amount of time, the church puts me on a sabbatical. Now you might think, well, that sounds like a great deal. But I can tell you, for myself and every other pastor I know who has taken a sabbatical, they don't want to do it. <laughs> we don't want to do it. Because we're like you. we got too much to do. And there's too much that, that depends on us, and we worry about it. You're just, we're just asking for an aneurysm, you know, as we think about taking a sabbatical. Which is just another way of saying that I'm not wise enough on my own to know when the dam is getting dangerous until it's too late. And so I'm thankful for the policy. So here's another way to say what I'm talking about this morning. I would suggest that we all make habits, these spiritual habits, our policy as well. That we take some space in our lives for the needful thing, for that good portion. That we take some time or make some space. And, you know, if you're, if you're by yourself, take that time. If you're in a family, try to make space for the people in your family, for your spouse or for your kids, to have some time for silence and solitude, to connect with Jesus, to listen and learn and follow Him. I read about an exchange with a firefighter recently, and this, this guy was asking the firefighter about his life as a firefighter and uh, about the, the mad rush... You can imagine in a firehouse, right, they get a, they get a call and, and the mad rush to get on the, the engines and get to the fire. And the firefighters stopped him and said, oh, no, 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 good firefighters don't rush. And of course, the guy who was interviewing him said, hang on a second, <laughs> when, I'm at, when I'm making that call, I want the firefighters to rush, right? When you've got a fire and you call the fire department, you want them rushing. But he, the firefighter went on and said, good firefighters calmly walk to the truck when responding. And when they arrive at the scene, they carefully take stock of the situation before charging in. You think you want a rushed firefighter, but experienced firefighters know that hurry puts lives at risk. Hurry gets in the way of saving lives. A frantic firefighter is not a good firefighter. So as we close this morning, as we close out this series, you know, the world needs firefighters. The world needs good neighbors. The world needs good Samaritans. The world needs good neighbors. They need unanxious, non-frantic Christians who are not submerged in themselves, who are able to see the situations clearly with the interests of Christ in mind. That's what the world needs. 
And so for that to happen, we can't just add be good neighbor to our list of to-dos and then hurry off. You know, when Jesus says in verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha, all the commentators say that this is a, a very tender form of address. And Jesus wants, he, he sees what's going on and he wants to say, listen, Martha, Martha, slow down, sit with Christ, listen to him, learn from him, make space so you can follow him. You know, there, there's plenty to do in this world, right? And, and we should help. But first things first. First things first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you for the, the care and the attention that you give us. Lord, as we think about our lives, we are all very busy. We all have a lot to do and we have more that we would love to do and we don't seem to be able to get to. And along the way, over time, we end up utterly submerged in ourselves, driven around by our idols, our to-do lists, our fear of other people, our fear of consequences. And we don't live as your people. We don't walk by your spirit. We don't, we don't live in connection with you. But Lord, we, we want to. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom from the story, from Luke 10. Give us wisdom from the life of Christ. That your Spirit would lead us in the way we should go. That we would learn to be still before you so that we can know you truly. That we would learn to be quiet before you so that we can hear your voice. And that we would learn to wait on you so that we might learn to follow and be disciples. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.